I'm reading this scripture passage as part of the service today. It's only one verse, so we're not going to have a specific uh, reading right before the message. Uh, but you can turn your Bibles to uh, Numbers chapter 24, verse 17. Numbers chapter 24, verse 17. I don't know what page that is on in your, your, uh, your Bible, but uh, if you did pick up one of those Bibles on the way in and you'd like to keep it, we'd love for you to have it. We want everyone to have a, a current uh, Bible. Let me say a a prayer, and then we'll get started. Father God, thank you for this opportunity to hear from your word, to uh, look at a passage that uh, predicts, that that prophesies the birth of uh, Jesus Christ. We're so grateful for this this season, uh, that we do have a a whole uh, Advent season that we can celebrate uh, that you came uh, as a a small child. Uh, It's in your name we pray, Jesus Christ. Amen. Now, it is Christmas time. I think it's fair to say that, but uh, if, you're, if you've kind of been watching the stores or watching your neighborhood, you know that many people have been celebrating Christmas for a while now. At least uh, the, the big stores have been trying to sell Christmas goods. Uh, and so I wanted to take a little survey. How many of you, just by show of hands, really enjoy it when like Christmas music comes on, like November 1st, and you, you really enjoy going to the store and seeing like the Christmas lights, the Christmas trees. How many of you are in that category? Okay, so a handful of you. Now, how many of you really like to wait until after Thanksgiving to see the Christmas lights? Okay, more of you. And the rest that didn't raise your hand just don't like Christmas, I assume. Well, for those of you that aren't really a fan of, uh, you know, the early signs of Christmas, I have a confession to make in the form of a picture. This is a picture of my house. I think it was two days after Halloween, all right? So I've almost had this up for a month now because I'm that neighbor. (laughs) Now, when I posted this, I took this picture, I posted it on Instagram and Facebook. I got quite a a bit of feedback uh, on it. Uh, Some people were happy and excited that, uh, you know, Christmas lights were up, and others were not as in favor of that. And that's just fine. Now, I like to get the Christmas lights up early because I feel like Christmas just goes by so quickly. I'm so busy. I want to slow down and enjoy the signs of Christmas. But I understand if you think, oh, we need to wait till Thanksgiving. I think the point of this is, is that uh, the kind of the signs of Christmas, they provoke a response in our hearts. So when you see a Santa Claus or you see a Christmas tree or Christmas lights, that does something. You, have a, you, you feel a response. You probably think about it. Maybe you have a conversation with your family. Yes, Christmas is here. No, Christmas shouldn't be here quite so soon. Now, we're in a new series, a brand new series for just three weeks. It's called Baby Jesus Foretold. And in it, we're going to look at signs of Christmas, (laughs) signs of Jesus, specifically early signs, signs that are in the Old Testament that were written uh, several hundred years to a thousand years before the birth of Jesus Christ. So the question that I want you to ponder, and I want all of us to think about, is how does your heart respond to these signs? Do you greet these signs with joy and excitement? and You're grateful that Christ is coming, or does it cause a different feeling in you, 
feeling that you don't want uh, this time of year to be about Christmas, or you, or you don't look forward to Jesus. I hope that, that by the end of this series, your heart will pause and worship, that when you see these texts going forward, that you will be reminded of Jesus, that you'll be reminded of Christmas, and it will bring you great joy. Now, this week, we're looking in Numbers. Numbers is in the Pentateuch, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. Uh, It's early, and we're looking at Numbers uh, chapter 24. But I'm going to give you an overview of Numbers chapter 22 through 24. This falls in uh, what is known as Balaam's oracles. So Balaam is a name, and oracles are kind of these prophetic uh, prophecies uh, that are... are, uh, (laughs) that are poetic in nature, uh, they're, they're beautiful, they're powerful, and they teach us something. But to understand who Balaam is, you kind of need to understand the history of the nation of Israel, the, the Hebrew people. So I've, I brought a map to kind of show you uh, the people of Israel, so the Jewish people after they left Egypt. So this is kind of the historic Exodus route. So when the Hebrews left Egypt uh, following Moses, uh, they headed towards the promised land. They stopped at Sinai. You can see that uh, towards the bottom of the map. And then uh, they headed towards the land of Canaan, the promised land towards the upper right. But when they got to the promised land, they, they didn't believe that God could give them the promised land. They didn't trust God. And so God said, well, you're going to wander in the wilderness for 40 years until this generation has died off and a new generation has come and they trust me, they believe in me, then they will enter the promised land. So now at the end of Numbers, we're looking at a time when they're getting ready to enter the promised land. And as they, they neared the promised land, they ran into some foreign kings that they, they fought. And one of these kings was a man named Balak. So Balak is the king of Moab. You can see that right above Edom. And, and because Israel had already defeated several kings, the, the king of Moab got really nervous. And he said, I'm going to call on this, this man, this prophet named Balaam, who I know has power. It says that when, when, when Balaam cursed people, they were cursed. When he blessed people, they were blessed. And, and Balaam's like 400 miles to the north. So they went a long ways to get Balaam. They traveled and brought him down. And at the, in these chapters in Numbers, instead of obeying King Balak, Balaam does the opposite. Instead of cursing the nation of Israel, Balaam blesses them. He turns curses into blessings. The first two blessings, so there's four blessings. Keep tracking with me. The first two blessings are of the people of Israel, kind of the tribes, the 12 tribes of Israel. And the second two are a little bit unique. They're different types of blessings. They're a special blessing because they're talking about a coming king. So the blessing isn't a what, it's a who. It's a person. And Balaam says that the king will come. In the days to come, he will come, or in the latter days, so in the days to come, this king will come and he will defeat Moab. So this is the exact opposite of what the king of Moab wanted. Balaam saying, someone's going to come who's going to defeat you. And that brings us to our verse, Numbers 24, verse 17. This is a prophecy of a coming king. 
I'm going to read it, but you can follow along. Now, I'm going to read from the ESV. You're welcome to read from the NIV, but I think the ESV is just a little bit clearer. Numbers 24, verse 17. I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. It shall crush the forehead of Moab and break down all the sons of Sheth. Now, Moab here symbolizes the enemies of God, all right? So it doesn't mean just those geographic peoples. It means anyone that stands in opposition to God, anyone that doesn't trust God, that doesn't know God. And Balaam's saying, a king is going to come who's going to defeat every enemy of God. And that king is going to come in a specific time. You know, I, I see him, but not now. He's going to come at a specific time. And I behold him, but not near. He's going to come in a specific place. All right? He's going to come in a time and place. He's going to be a real person. And he's going to come and he's going to really fight for God's people, but in a different way than we probably expect, in a spiritual way. Now, there's two signs in our passage that I want us to focus on, these kind of two signs of Christmas. I want us to focus on a star that speaks of hope, and I want us to focus on a lion that speaks of victory, a lion or a scepter. I'll explain that as we get a little bit further into the text. But first, let's start with the first kind of sign of this coming king, this first sign of Christmas, a star. The king, the star tells us that the king will bring hope to his people. This is the, the, the phrase, a star shall come out of Jacob. Now, the people that this king is going to come from are the Israelites, the Hebrew people. But this king is going to come from a specific line, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. These are uh, the, this coming king's forefathers. Now, this summer, some of you were here and you remember we studied through the book of Genesis. And we looked at the father of the Hebrew people, the father of the Israelites, a man named Abraham or Abram. God promised to bless those who bless Abraham and curse those who curse Abraham and his offspring. Do you remember that? That was Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. Now, God promises to bless the nation uh, that comes from Abraham, his descendants, because through Abraham, there are going to become a, a great multitude of people. So uh, Abraham is going to have a great multitude of descendants. And through him, he's going to, God is going to bless all peoples. So does that make sense? God is going to bless all peoples through Abraham's line. And this is why God is blessing Abraham's line instead of cursing him. And this is an amazing promise because Abraham, at the time he received this promise, didn't have any children. In fact, he was, he was up there in age. And yet he believed God and God gave him a son, a son, Isaac, and it's through Isaac's line that we're going to get this coming king. Now, in two chapters later, in Genesis chapter 15, God promises to bless Abraham's descendants beyond number, a great multitude of descendants. And he promises to do this with a very specific analogy. So Genesis 15, verse 5. And he brought him outside, so God brought Abraham outside and said, look, 
toward heaven and number the stars. If you are able to number them, then he said, so shall your offspring be. See, Abraham is an old man who doesn't have children, and God is promising him an amazing, a beautiful promise, that you're going to have a great multitude of descendants that are going to outnumber the stars. What a beautiful picture Abraham got. Abraham is going to have a great multitude of offspring. This message of looking at the stars would have produced a great deal of hope in the Israelites. Remember their setting. They're, they're wandering uh, the wilderness. They are dying off. A whole generation is dying off, probably wondering, God, have you forgotten us? Have you forsaken us? And what does God say? Look up. Look at the stars. Look at Abraham's sky, because I'm going to make you into a great people even as this generation dies. Now, it's interesting that Balaam, uh, when he writes in his verse, he talks about a single star. He says, a star shall come out of Jacob. He doesn't say many stars will come out of Jacob. He says a singular star. And if you go back to Genesis 15 verse 5, that word for offspring is actually in the singular. It's not in the plural. In other words, your, your offspring, uh, there will be a singular offspring that will produce this great multitude of offspring. See, it's through a single star that Abraham gets a multitude of stars. It's through one bright, shining star that Abraham's family will explode and become this huge people. And who is that star? Well, it's Jesus. Jesus is the king. Jesus is the coming king. He is the star who will bring hope to Abraham's family that will multiply Abraham's descendants beyond number. I want us to flip to the the New Testament, to the very first verse in Matthew. Matthew chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, where we see the author of Matthew connecting Jesus with Abraham and his family. Matthew 1, verses 1 through 2, say this. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, so the, the family tree of Jesus Christ, the son of David, we'll get to him in a little bit, the son of Abraham. So Jesus, if you go back in his family lineage, you get to Jacob, Isaac, and Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers. But that's not enough. If Matthew, he's connecting, them to, he's connecting Jesus to Abraham's family, but he also makes another connection in the second chapter of Matthew. Matthew 2, verses 1 through 2. Balaam emphasizes the sign of the star, and so does the author of Matthew. Matthew. Matthew 2, verses 1 through 2 says this. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod, The king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. See, the the New Testament wants us to make the connection 
that God was going to multiply Abraham's descendants beyond number, be as great as the stars, and he's going to do that through one star. That's what Balaam wants us to understand. And Matthew wants us to understand that too, that somehow through Jesus, more stars are, are put in Abraham's sky. In fact, if we look at uh, the, the last book in the Bible, so we've gone from Genesis uh, to Matthew, to, now we're going to go to Revelation, just preaching the whole Bible for you here tonight. Revelation chapter 2, 20, uh, 22.16 points to Jesus as the star. It says, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to give you this testimony for the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David and the bright morning star. Jesus is our star. He is our morning star. The morning star is Venus. It welcomes in the dawn. See, God uses a singular star, Jesus Christ, to multiply Abraham's offspring as the stars of the heaven. And any who put their faith in Christ, so if you trust in Christ, if you repent of your sins and put your faith in Jesus, the New Testament makes it clear that you become a spiritual offspring of Abraham. You become his descendant. You join the family through the star. See, if you trust in Jesus, you join Abraham's sky. You become one of those stars. You're definitely not the brightest star. Christ is the morning star, but you get to enter Abraham's sky. Did any of you see the supermoon earlier this month? This is a picture of a supermoon. A supermoon is when uh, the moon is at its fullest, so it's not half or quarter or some other slice of a moon. It's at its fullest, and it's at its closest orbit to the earth. So it's at its brightest and its closest. The cool thing about a, a bright moon, whether it's a supermoon or not, is that you can, you can see a lot clearly, a lot more clearly. You can, you can see in the night. It lights up the night sky. So you can walk around and you can see things that are normally hidden. See, Jesus is the bright, shining star that lights up the night, that lights up our darkness, that, that lit up the darkness that had gone before. And he provides a way forward, a way forward, not in the night, but in the day, in the light of Jesus Christ. So what type of darkness does Jesus push back? He pushes back my sin. See, that's why he came to die on the cross, was to defeat the night, to defeat sin, to defeat death. He pushes back our night, if you know him, if you trust in him. When you're a child, you're afraid of the darkness, and you call on your parents to come and to comfort you in the night, right? Jesus is the one who came and comforts us in our night as the bright, shining star. Now, I know many of you are going to enjoy this Christmas holiday season, but the holidays can be a really difficult time for many people. Because you don't have a lot of family that are nearby or you're unable to go and spend time with them. Well, the message of Christmas that we find in the Bible is that Jesus can bring hope. Hope to your Christmas. You can find joy in the Christmas season as you realize, wow, I am a star in Abraham's sky through my relationship with Jesus Christ. I am not alone. I'm with him. 
And then you spend time with your actual Christian family, your church body. This is why we have things like uh, a fellowship dinner that's coming up in, in just a couple weeks so that we can, in a real way, encourage each other and help light up our kind of darkness. It was so dark on the way here. But our, our, our reality is not defined by that darkness, is it? It's defined by Jesus Christ. He is our bright morning star. He can encourage us in this Christmas season. And if you're someone who is enjoying the Christmas season, who doesn't struggle with loneliness, then how can you be a bright, shining star to those around you, to your neighbors, your coworkers? We just wrapped up a whole series on that. I encourage you to think about that this season. The star tells us that a king will bring hope to his people. And we can see that all the way from the Old Testament through the New. Jesus is that king. He brings hope to Abraham's family. Anyone who trusts in Jesus, who trusts him, gets to join the family, gets to enter Abraham's sky. Now I want us to look at the second sign in our passage, that of a lion. The king, this tells us that the king will bring victory to his people. Now, uh, I read the verse, and there's no specific reference to lion in this verse, but there is a reference to a scepter. A scepter shall rise out of Israel. So what does that mean? It means that there's a coming king who's powerful and who's going to defeat those that stand in opposition to God. Now, scepters were symbols of kingly authority. I think they still are in our culture today. A scepter, you know, can be made of wood, metal. It's this long stick with usually a club head on the end. It's pretty much the biggest, fanciest club. <laughs> and the most powerful person holds it, right? Well, this connects to the sign of the lion. If we look a few verses earlier in Numbers 24, verse 9. So we're just going back a few verses earlier. Uh, Balaam, in his third oracle, so his third prophecy, talks about a lion. And he kind of is making the connection between the coming king is the, kind of this symbolized as a lion. Numbers 24, verse 9 says this. It says, he crouched, he lay down like a lion, and like a lioness, who will rouse him up? Blessed are those who bless you, and cursed are those who curse you. So there's a, a coming king who's going to uh, turn curses into blessings. Now this actually is Balaam quoting an Old Testament passage. Now, we went through the book of Genesis this summer, and at the very end of Genesis, Genesis chapter 49, there's Abraham, Isaac, and then his grandson, Jacob. Jacob is dying, and he has 12 sons. And, and Jacob gives a blessing to each of his sons before he dies. And he gives one specifically to the tribe of Judah, that Judah's tribe, out of Judah will be a king, will be a, a, a royal ruler. And notice the signs that are in Genesis chapter 49, verses 9 through 10. Judah is a lion's cub. From the prey, my son, you have gone up. He stooped down. This is a quotation that Balaam just gave. He crouched as a lion, and as a lioness, who dares rouse him? The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until tribute comes to him, until him, unto him shall be the obedience of the peoples. 
See, Balaam is warning King Balak that there is a coming king. There is a coming king from the line of Abraham, from the line of Judah, and he is a lion. He will defeat the king of Moab. He will defeat the enemies of God. The scriptures tell us as we look through the story of the Bible that Jesus is this coming king from the line of Judah. I want to go back to that same verse in Matthew so that we can see uh, Jesus' connection to Judah once more. So this is the very first two verses in the New Testament. Matthew 1, verses 1 through 2. Notice the different underlines this time. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David. Now, when we looked at the morning star reference, it also referred to a descendant of David, the root of David. David was the most famous king in Israel. He was from the line of Judah. He, he, uh, he, he was considered a man after God's own heart. He was not a perfect man, but it's through his line that this eventual king of kings would come. Jesus. So the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers. See, God promised Judah that someone would come from his line, who, who, that he would have the kingship in his line. And then in 2 Samuel, God promised King David that one would sit on King David's throne forever. And here we see this fulfilled in Jesus Christ. He is from this line. And in the book of Revelation, once again, We see this fulfilled. Jesus is called a lion and a descendant of King David. Revelation chapter 5, verse 5. And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered, so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. See, the sign of the lion is the sign of Christmas. That there is a coming king who is fulfilled in Jesus Christ and his coming, who defeats, who conquers. What has he conquered? He has conquered the enemies of God. We're going to get to that a little bit further. Now, I know the most contact most of us have had with lions is at the zoo. I have not been on an African safari. I would love to go sometime. If you want to go, talk to me. We'll work it out. Uh, But the the most often you've seen a lion was probably at the zoo, and it probably wasn't very intimidating, was it? Because the lion was behind the glass or perhaps uh, behind the bars in like a giant massive pit that the lion would, it separated you from the lion. And the, the lion, perhaps there was a male and a couple of females were just lying there in the sun eating, uh, you know, some, some lunch that the zookeeper gave them, perhaps, enjoying the day, kind of being a lazy lion. So you probably looked at the lions and thought, oh, okay, interesting, and then left. <laughs> now, how would you feel if you were kind of in that same area and suddenly the glass disappeared (laughs) and there was nothing separating you and the lion. How would you feel if suddenly there was no pit between you and the lion? The bars were removed and it was just you and a lion. (laughs) You'd probably feel a little bit intimidated, wouldn't you? 
You'd probably watch and you'd see that lion and you'd think, I gotta be careful or I should get out of here because that lion might feed on me next. You might look at his claws and say, wow, that lion could tear me apart, (laughs) could eat me for dinner. You'll think, man, the Lion King really didn't sum up what this feels like. (laughs) Lions are apex predators. That means they are on the top of the food chain. Lions can take down wildebeests, zebras, giraffes, buffaloes, wild hogs. They've even been known to take down rhinos and elephants if they're really hungry. Balaam is warning the king of Balak, uh, the king of Moab. He is warning Balak. He's saying, our king that is coming from our line, he is an apex predator. He will crush you. He will destroy you if you don't bend your knee to him, if you don't pay attention to him. This lion will destroy anyone that, that rejects the king of Israel, the, the God of Israel, Yahweh. And so the question for you and for me is, how are you going to respond to the lion, to the lion of Judah? How are you going to respond to the apex predator this Christmas season? Are you going to try to make war against the lion? Are you going to say, oh, this lion doesn't really exist if I can just keep on going my way? Or are you going to bend your knee and worship and say, I want to trust in that lion? Because Jesus reveals himself to be a good lion, that you can put your trust in him. For those of us that trust Jesus, that, that, that come before God honestly and say, I am broken, I'm sinful, I'm going to put my faith in you and fall at my knees. The lion is not an apex predator anymore. He becomes an apex protector. He can protect us. If there was a snake inside your uh, half of the glass, you would want that lion on your side, wouldn't you? You would want that lion to come in and to take care of that snake, to eat that snake, to, to crush that snake, to take that snake away. Well, this image of a lion and a snake is actually true to the Bible, I'm going to get to this in just a moment. The lion promises us that a king will come and he will bring victory to his people. Are you one of his people? You can trust him. He's good. He is the king who defeats the enemies of God. King Jesus is the light and the lion of Christmas. And one of the, the, the last lines of our, kind of, uh, our, our verse right here, it says, And it shall crush the forehead of of Moab. See, baby Jesus is the one who crushes the forehead of Moab, that crushes the enemies of God through his life and ministry. Now, this is a pretty graphic picture that Balaam is giving the king of Moab, isn't it? That someone's going to come along and crush the forehead, the skull of Moab. What can that possibly mean? Well, this is actually a very specific recall to the book of Genesis. I'm so glad that we just went through this as a church. Genesis chapter 3.15 is called the Proto-Evangelion, the first gospel, because it is the first good news for you and for me that we no longer have to be enemies of God, but we can become friends of God. 
So in the, first, uh, in the first couple chapters of Genesis, we see creation. We see the creation of man and woman. But then we also see the first sin in Genesis chapter 3. As man and woman, Adam and Eve, as they disobey God. And they say, God, we're going to trust in ourselves instead of trusting in you. And God has to punish that sin. He curses the serpent. He curses the one who tempted them, the snake. He curses Adam and he curses Eve. And yet, even as God is doling out the punishment for their sin, God is giving hope in the first gospel, the proto-euangelion, the Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, good news, says this, And I will put enmity between you and the woman, so between you, serpent, and the woman, and between your offspring and hers, He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. See, Balaam is saying there's going to be some king that's coming. There's going to be a king that's coming through the nation of Israel that's going to defeat the enemies of God, but it's going to defeat uh, kind of the author of evil as well, the serpent, the snake, Satan himself. This king is going to come through the nation of Israel. I love Mel Gibson's The Passion of the Christ uh, because they're, they're, Satan is in the garden uh, of Gethsemane with Jesus and he's tempting him in his final hours. And we see this snake, this serpent come out from uh, Satan and it's slithering through the garden and it comes up to Jesus and Jesus just stomps on his head. Because that is what took place at the garden. That is what took place at the cross. See, Jesus defeated the serpent at the cross. Well, how can that be? It's because he paid the penalty for our sins. He, he died at the cross as a sacrifice for when we blew it in the Garden of Eden. And it's through his shed blood that, that, that he satisfies God's anger towards sin. And it's through his shed blood that we can have forgiveness. And at the end of the Bible, in the book of Revelation, once more, we actually get a picture of what Jesus did at the cross. Revelation chapter 20, verses 2 through 3, tell us about how Jesus, at the cross, defeated the serpent. He, referring to an angel, uh, he, an angel, seized the dragon, the ancient serpent, who is the devil, or Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. He threw him into the abyss and locked and sealed it over him to keep him from deceiving the nations anymore until the thousand years were ended. This is a picture of what Jesus already accomplished at the cross. He defeated the serpent. He took away his power, the power of sin, the power of death through his own death at the cross. See, King Jesus can bring light. He can bring hope in our darkness he can bring victory over, to, over his enemies because he already has done both those things at the cross. King Jesus is the light and lion of Christmas. It's kind of the big idea for this evening. And so there's a question that each of us needs to ask ourselves as we go into this Christmas season. How are you going to respond to these signs of Christmas? Who will you side with? Will you side with King Jesus, the lion, the descendant from Judah? Or will you side with the king of Moab, who stands for all of God's enemies, all the enemies of God that rejects God? 
There is no in-between ground. You can't just say, oh, I'm, I'm neutral, I'm Switzerland. You can't say that. You're either with the lion or you're with the serpent. Jesus is a good king. He is a good king who invites us into a relationship with him. He invites us to come and know him and worship him this Christmas season. He doesn't want us to follow him, to, to become his disciples out of, out of just a pure fear. He wants us to know that he's good. See, he, he paid the penalty for my sin. I put my faith in him. He offers so much forgiveness, so much grace, but it begins with a realization that the lion is dangerous and that there are real consequences for sin. It ultimately leads to separation from God's love in a real place called hell. It's not a very nice Christmas message, is it? But there's hope. There's hope for each one of us as we put our faith in the good lion, in Christ Jesus. The king of Moab, he, when Balaam gave him this message, this, this third and fourth oracle, he had the opportunity to repent, to say, you know what? I, I know God's presence is with you, so you're not lying. I'm going to bend the knee. But it says he went his way. I missed the supermoon <laughs> earlier this month. I didn't see it. Don't make the same mistake with Jesus. He offers so much hope, so much goodness, so much grace, but it's easy to walk on by him, but the results are disastrous. The results, the consequences are eternal. The gospel is the good news that if you believe in Jesus, you are turned from an enemy of God, from lion meat, into a friend of a lion. You, if, you, if you know Jesus, if you put your faith in him, you become like a shining star in Abraham's sky. You become a cub in the lion's pride. You join the family. The gospel is the good news that you're forgiven if you trust in Jesus. King Jesus is the light and lion of Christmas. The Chronicles of Narnia, one of the best books in that series, is The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. And Jesus in this series, written by C.S. Lewis, Jesus is described as a lion. He's called Aslan. And that's kind of how he is symbolized through the story. The youngest of the children, and there's a point in this story where the, there's four children, and three of them, I think, are walking along with two talking beavers. So there's this, this magical land and beavers can talk. And the youngest of these children is a girl named Lucy. And she starts talking with the beaver about Aslan, about this king, about this lion, about this ruler of Narnia, the land. Is, is he a man, asked Lucy. Aslan, a man, said Mr. Beaver sternly, certainly not. I tell you, he is the king of the wood and the son of the great emperor beyond the sea. Don't you know who is the king of beasts? Aslan is a lion, the lion, the great lion. Then he isn't safe, said Lucy. Safe, 
said Mr. Beaver. Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. Jesus is the star who pushes back our darkness, takes care of my sins, and he can take care of yours as well. Jesus is the lion who one day, he, at the cross, he already defeated sin and, and Satan and, and death, but one day he's going to, to vanquish them when he returns. My king, King Jesus, isn't safe, but he is good. He is the light and the lion of Christmas, and I invite you to come and know him. Let's pray. King Jesus, this church is all about you. This message is all about you. Would your people be all about you this Christmas season? Please bless the offering. Please bless our gifts as a uh, sweet sign of allegiance with King Jesus. We just give these, these offerings to him. Thank you for being our shining light. Thank you for being our victorious lion. It's in your name we pray. Amen.